Welcome to Godsplaining, contemplative preachers, contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome back to Godsplaining. It is a joy to have you with us this uh, this Sunday and listening to uh, reflections on the readings for the fourth Sunday of Easter. And I'm Father Joseph Anthony Cress coming at you from Charlottesville, Virginia, where I'm the chaplain to the University of Virginia, go Hoos. And I'm joined this, uh, this evening or this afternoon by Father Gregory Pine and Father Patrick Briscoe. Father Gregory, how are things on your end? What's happening? I would say they're good. Um, you said this evening, this afternoon, and you may have thought it was a mistake, but it was actually fortuitous because where I am, mm -hmm. it is this evening. Where you are, it is this afternoon. So I would just simply say that it's my joy to um, share in this act of time travel with you. And um, yeah. yeah, I mean, Interstellar does time travel and Inception does time travel, but I don't know of any time travel quite like God's planning time travel. So it's a great grace, great blessing. It's just, just wonderful. Thank you. And the reality is we don't know what time it is when our listeners are listening to this. I, we have no idea. So I just want to make sure we cover all bases. Um, Excellent. So, Father Patrick, how is your morning going? Good Father morning, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> That's exactly right. No, I was thinking, speaking of time travel, I was thinking of, you know, one of the most, one of the most important things that gets overlooked in, I think, uh, Catholic culture is that Lent is only 40 days and the Easter season is longer. <laughs> words of wisdom everybody words of wisdom right oh there oh my gosh easter incredible but you know what i'm it's talking wild. about everyone acts like lent's the biggest deal but it's not easter is actually the, a bigger deal so by if only by we party as hard it. during the easter season as we fast during the lenten season wait you don't <laughs> <laughs> you should come down to charlottesville bro we do it right down up down here uh <laughs> go friars all right in that uh vein in that uh understanding of going big during the easter season what we're doing uh let's let's begin uh with looking at the readings for uh this fourth sunday of easter and we'll begin with a prayer the collect of of the mass for the day almighty ever-living god lead us to share in the joys of heaven so that the humble flock may reach where the brave shepherd has gone before, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. Father Patrick, would you mind uh, opening us with the first reading today? I, I don't mind. A reading from the Acts of the Apostles. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, Leaders of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done, a cripple, namely, by what means he was saved, then all of you and all the people of Israel should know that it was in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. In his name this man stands before you healed. He is the stone rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is no salvation through anyone else, nor is there any other name under heaven given to the human race by which we are to be saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
the the first reading um, for the last few weeks has been the preaching of Peter, right? The 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 actual preaching of um, this vicar of Christ who has received the keys of the kingdom, and we we get to hear what the first preaching of Jesus Christ in his resurrection sounded like, and. As Peter continues on, and as we continue to hear this throughout the first reading, um, the selection that we have today where Peter talks about uh, Christ being the stone rejected by the builders, um, which has become the cornerstone. And as we see that, it's we see the great humility of God. We, I think we often talk about God's humility around Christmas time, right? When, you know, the incarnate Lord was a, a child in the Blessed Mother's arms and how, you know, the humility that God lowered himself to take on human flesh in this way. But so, too, is what Peter is talking about is the great humility of God that he has become the stone really entrusted to the hands of the builders, and the builders are these leaders and elders that he's talking to. He said, God himself has humbled himself and placed himself as a stone in your hands. And you've investigated him. You've looked at him and said, he's not strong enough. There are cracks in the, in, in the stone itself. It won't be able to handle the weight of the edifice or whatever it may be. And they, they rejected him. They denied him because of his humility to entrust himself into the hands of mere men. And yet it's him, God who has taken flesh, God who has uh, taken upon himself the, the humanity, although he never took upon himself the sin. And thus it's because of that, that he has become our cornerstone. And thus because of that, that this man who has been healed, uh, a cripple who has re been restored to integrity, that he stands in their presence, in the presence of these builders who were first entrusted with the Lord are now being returned with the healing power because the God who humbled himself to become a stone in the hands of these other men now has become the cornerstone that other men are turning to to receive their healing to receive God himself and so as Peter continues this early preaching of um, of the early church the first preaching um, we see the great humility of God to entrust himself really into our care and the last thing that we see is that we we really live this out weekly I mean we do that we do this daily that God continues to humble himself entrusting himself to the hands of the priest in the Eucharist and that great humility continues and that when we see Christ in the Eucharist, let us not see, um, you know, anything other than God himself. We see with the eyes of faith, but let us not reject his presence in the Eucharist because he humbles himself and approaches us in that very, very same way. I would just like to note that Father Joseph Anthony, Christmas Friar Cress, has managed to mention Christmas in the last two episodes, so I, I felicitate you. I congratulate you for that. Kudos. Um, in reading this reading, <clears throat> I was most struck by the proclamation of the name. So we hear it in the middle of the reading. It was in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, and we hear it at the end of the reading. There is, nor is there any other name under heaven given to the human race by which we are to be saved. And it seems a little bit abstract to be saved by a name. But then when we recall in the Old Testament, Exodus 3.14, 
when Moses is commissioned to lead the Israelites forth out of Egypt. It's, you know, that whole saving work commences with the revelation of the name, that God is he who is. And in the Gospel of John, the Lord identifies himself as the self-same God. So you see all throughout the Gospel of John these I am statements. And sometimes the Lord, you know, appends further information. I am the bread of life, or I am the door, or I am the good shepherd, or I am the way, the truth, and the life, or I am the vine, etc. Right? But sometimes he just leaves it in its starkness. I am. Before Abraham was, I am. So the Lord is not just like associating himself loosely. He's saying, I am God, right? I am the second person of the most blessed Trinity in human flesh. And why can you be saved by that name? Because in invoking that name, you get God. So there's this beautiful hymn in Philippians that we recite often in the divine office in the liturgy of the hours. Uh, and it ends with this bold proclamation that um, before this name or at this name, every knee will bow in the heavens, on the earth, and under the earth. Um, to the glory of God the Father, you know, that Jesus Christ is Lord. So I think that on a, on a very practical level, we have that name. No one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So there is this grace that, that courses through Christian life, which gives us the power to call in the name of Jesus and in calling upon the name of Jesus to get God, because God has chosen to give himself to us. So have great confidence, have great encouragement by virtue of the fact that you have, you know, you can say the name. Father Fabian, my Dominican professor in college, one of his aphorisms, he had many phrases that he would repeat over and over and again, but one such phrase was repetitio est mater memoriae. Repetition is the mother of memory. And here we have it because we have this phrase, which is all over the New Testament. We, we hear it again. He is the stone rejected by the builders that has become the cornerstone. And this verse, which comes from Psalm 118 occurs also in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 21:42, Mark 12:10, Luke 20:17. We have it in Acts here and then 1 Peter 2:7. See Father Gregory some other people can, you know, cite random scripture verses too. Uh, but 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 we ha we have this repetition to drive home that this is one of the this is one of the important lenses by which we have to by by which we have to consider in order to understand who Christ is that he is the stone rejected by the builders who has become the cornerstone that is he is the he is the outsider upon whom the whole project is now premised um most church buildings re reflect this theological view by by having a cornerstone and the blessing of a cornerstone is a very important part of the ceremony that goes into the dedication of a church so father joseph anthony you know, just did this as they uh, constructed the, the beautiful new Church of St. Thomas Aquinas in Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, but there's an understanding that the, that the cornerstone is the piece that holds the whole project together. It's the foundation stone. It's, it's the thing upon which everything is laid. And this is why the name is so emphasized, as Father Gregory was just um, uh, unpacking for us, because Christ is the thing upon which the whole project is premised. The life of the Lord Jesus, particularly the mysteries of his suffering, death, resurrection, and ascension, which we call the Paschal mystery, particularly these mysteries are, are, are the premise of our faith. And those who reject them can't understand the edifice. To, to not accept these mysteries means to be building something else. But when we have these mysteries, when we, when we adopt them as the premise of the project of our lives as believers, when they become the cornerstone, we can build something very great in and through the power of the holy name of Jesus.
All right, let's go ahead and move on to the second reading today. And Father Gregory, go ahead and uh, lead us with that. A reading from the first letter of John. Beloved, see what love the Father has bestowed on us, that we may be called the children of God. Yet so we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we shall be has not yet been revealed. We do know that when it is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the thing that comes to my mind here is this is the beautiful story. And I've, I, I think I've talked about it on a podcast before, but I, I, I'm just still stuck with it. So one of the books that I read over Lent for the first time was C.S. Lewis's Till We Have Faces, which is just an incredible story. I've tried to pick it up a couple of times in the past, but I don't know. I just couldn't slog through it. There's a beautiful, beautiful passage towards the end of the novel from which the name of the novel is derived. Um, Till We Have Faces is a, is a retelling of an ancient myth. Um, uh, and the passage goes thus, and, it, and it's, it's, wor it's worth reading here for our meditation. When the time comes to you at which you will be forced at last to utter the speech which has lain at the center of your soul for years, which you have all that time idiot-like been saying over and over, you'll not talk about the joy of words. I saw well why the gods do not speak openly to us, nor let us answer. Till that word can be dug out of us, why should they hear the babble that we think we mean? How can they meet us face to face till we have faces? And so the premise in the myth is, a, is about the difficulty of human beings um, to bear the things of heaven not being readied for it. And we get the same theme here. Now, here in the, the scriptures, it's divinely inspired and his true revelation. So it, it means something different than in the artistic reflection upon even noble myths of the past. But, but here we have the truth that, that we do not yet know. We cannot yet bear the glory of what is to come, that we lack the ability to speak what is at the center of our deepest selves. We, we lack the ability to encounter to, to name the things to be found in our hearts, but God will give us that power. Uh, what we shall be has not yet been revealed. We do know that when it is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We will be able to gaze upon him because we will have faces. We will know our deepest selves, and, and because of that, we will be able to understand and approach the mysteries of God. As much as Father Patrick is talking about the future and how we will be, how we will have our faces again uh, in the future, this this passage also talks about the present, in the here and now, and that we are children here and now. I mean, this this comes up again and again. See what love had the Father has bestowed on us that we may be called children of God. We are children now, and so this has both promises for the future. In, in saying of what the perfection, the fulfillment will be when we are drawn into the presence of God because we'll see him as he is and we will have our clearest uh, and fullness of our humanity perfected in his presence. Um, but that that's, this isn't just um, kind of procrastination for something in the future. There's also the reality of the here and now, and that is that we are the children of God right now.
that's a great grace. That is uh, something that is a mystery that is 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 given to us and to have the encouragement to live in the here and now in that childhood uh, to live as children of God in relationship with the father uh, in union with the eternal son. And so as this is, I find this re reading to be encouraging and kind of motivating because it pushes us into that future and pushes us into the uh, excitement for seeing God as he is. And the fact that we will be like him when we are able to see him as he is, but it's not just a uh, kind of procrastination. It's the encouragement to also live in the here and now in that relationship as a foretaste, as a preparation for its fullness and eternity. So the fact is, yeah, we are children now to live with that great dignity, to know uh, of the father's love and um, to become like those children so that we can enter into the kingdom of God. I don't know anything about the philosopher Hegel, except what Father Bonaventure has said on the podcast. <laughs> um, so, uh, so I don't actually know if I'm representing his thought well, but truth be told, I, I don't actually care. Uh, but I know that he said something about a thesis, an antithesis, and a synthesis. So what I'm going to try to do here is a little bit of a synthesis. So is it about the future? Yes. Is it about the present? Yes, because truth be told, the future is the present, because the life of grace is the life of glory. There's no real distinction between the two, except for the fact that when it's glory, you can't lose it. So what we await in heaven is what we enjoy presently. C.S. Lewis has a beautiful line where he says, regardless of where you end, you will look back at your time on earth and you will recognize it. So he says, for those who end in hell, they'll look back at their time on earth and recognize it to have been hell on earth. And for those who end in heaven, they'll look back at their time on earth and they'll recognize it to have been heaven on earth. So the life of grace is the life of glory in germ or in seed. And I think that this recognition or living out of this recognition is just, I mean, it's the key to Christian life. When you think about uh, the fall of Adam and Eve, how is it that they were deceived or how is it that they sinned? Well, Satan proposed to them, if you eat of this you know, fruit, you'll be like God or be like God's. The thing is, though, they already were like God's. Insofar as Adam and Eve were created in grace, they had been made adopted sons and daughters of God. And so recognizing that fact kind of cools the temptation uh, and makes it more so possible for us to live in accord with our, our status as adopted sons and daughters, as God would have us do, rather than taking it on our own steam uh, and thereby losing the gift that God had chosen to give. So the whole picture that St. John paints for us in the third chapter of his first letter is about this, this conformity to the divine nature, which takes place in the present with an eye towards the future. So we are children now presently, and the glory that we await, which has not yet been revealed, is the perfection of that status as adopted sons and daughters of God, because we are made for communion, and the way that we are to attain to said communion is through communion. So how does the Lord Jesus Christ reveal himself in the Gospel of John? As a friend, right? I no longer call you slaves, I call you friends. So it's through friendship, right? It's through the relationships that we inherit, the relationships with which God blesses in grace, that we are gradually, you know, perfected as Christians, that we're gradually perfected um, so as to be assimilated perfectly to the divine nature which awaits us in its fullness. Boom, Hegel. All right, and now we're going to go ahead and move into the Gospel of John. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. 
A good shepherd lay down, lays down his life for the sheep. A hired man who is not a shepherd and whose sheep are not his own sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf catches and scatters them. This is because he works for pay and has no concern for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know mine, and mine know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I will lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. These also I must lead, and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have power to lay it down and power to take it up again. This command I have received from my Father. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In this Gospel, the Lord picks out or identifies a couple of signs of what it means to be a good shepherd. So, I know mine and mine know me. The good shepherd knows his sheep. And a good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So the standard is knowledge and sacrifice. And that standard is one that we are made to imitate. All right, I was like looking for the word, and then I was like, wait a second, I know this word. It's on the tip of my tongue, and then, there it is. Okay, imitate. This is a model that we are made to imitate. How so? Well, by recognizing first, right? So we are known, and in turn, we are made to know. So the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd and follow after him. So corresponding to his knowledge is our recognition, and then corresponding to his sacrifice is our imitation, right? Corresponding to his sacrifice is our sacrifice. So in the Gospel of Luke, you have these three parables that come bing, bang, boom, where you have the parable of lost stuff. So you got the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost son or prodigal son, as it were. And in each of those cases, uh, when the thing is recovered, the thing is recovered for a reason. Okay, so when the woman recovers the lost coin, it says that she gathers her neighbors together and throws a party. I'm willing to bet that in assembling whatever items she needed for said party, she probably spent that coin. Um, so too, uh, when when we think here of the parable of the lost sheep, um, when, when that sheep is recovered, I'm willing to bet that uh, the master of the household through a great party, and uh, at that party, they probably ate sheep <laughs> or lamb, as it were, right? So when we are seen and known and loved and we recognize his voice in response to his knowledge and we, we, we witness to his sacrifice, we too are meant to sacrifice in turn, not like God is creepy and eats us, but in the sense that we are made to offer of ourselves. You know, we're, we're not found so as simply to be retained, to be hoarded in the Lord's sheepfold. We're meant to be given. So when the Lord recovers you, it's so that he can spend you, not because you're a commodity or not because you're currency, but because you're good. And in spending your life, you live it beautifully. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And that is the very purpose for which we are made, to bear much fruit. And so too, just as the Lord was planted, as it were, and bore much fruit in the resurrection, so too we are meant to be planted in our Christian vocations, in our Christian missions, uh, and to bear much fruit in the glory of God and the salvation of souls. It may take place on a grand scale. It may take place on a less grand scale. But regardless of the setting or regardless of, you know, how it looks in the end, it will have been beautiful provided that it is modeled on him. So provided that only we recognize his voice and that we imitate his sacrifice.
Father Gregory, after hearing you recite my favorite verse of scripture, I feel seen, I feel known, I feel loved. (laughs) Writing on this gospel passage, the great St. Augustine of Hippo says, But of the one sheepfold and of the one shepherd, you are now being constantly reminded. For we have commended much the sheepfold preaching unity, that all the sheep should enter by Christ, and none of them should follow Donatus. (laughs) I love that. I love that. I love that line. It's just a total call out by St. Augustine, not you, Donatus, and none of you should listen to him either. I think we have some kind of trepidation today about saying, no, that's not the voice of the shepherd. We're, we're afraid to make the call out that St. That St. Augustine makes to say, no, this is a false voice. This is not the voice. This is not the voice of the shepherd. And part of the reason why we're afraid to do that is because of the because of the difficulty sown in the church by failures of our shepherds. And this is what the whole controversy of Donatism is about. What it, who is this Donatus and what is he saying? Well, Donatus was claiming that in order for their preaching and their sacraments to be efficacious, the, the Catholic clergy had to be without blemish. So this, so this controversy arose in the ancient church because of Christian persecution, and there were priests who denied Christ and were not martyred, and they wanted to return to ministry, but Donatus said, no, that would be impossible. They couldn't be forgiven this denial of Christ, that they should have, in fact, offered their lives, um, and, and that having failed to do so, you know, by betraying Christ by offering incense to, to, the, to the false gods, they were no longer of use to the church. This controversy is super relevant today, as we in the American church in particular face, uh, face um, the, the reparations due because of failures of our clergy. And this is just a reality and something we have to speak openly and honestly about because we, uh, we ultimately face this crisis with courage, knowing that Christ will not abandon his church, that he is the good shepherd, that, that the sheepfold is the church, and in Christ and in his voice we can always have confidence. So... Despite mm, d- despite the difficulties of human iniquity, despite the challenge of sin, despite the real, it, uh, off, uh, you know, sometimes horrific ways that that, that um, people have suffered uh, in, in recent years in the church, none of this undermines the voice of the good shepherd or of his project, or the reality that that some voices are, are not his, and that it belongs to us to to call out those false voices and instead encourage the faithful, those who belong to the shepherd, to listen only to the voice of he who is the good shepherd. I appreciate the fact that I was chosen to read this reading because it has uh, one of my favorite words in it, uh, wolf. Um, And (laughs) Father Patrick and Father Gregory know how much I uh, love to say what I think is that word, wolf. Um, But both Jesus, the good shepherd, and the hired man see the wolf coming and approaching uh, from a distance. Um, but the difference is the hired man and the good shepherd um, act differently once they see the approaching wolf. And Jesus's description of the hired man um, it says that he pays no attention. He scatters. He lets the wolf catch the sheep and scatter them. The hired man abandons the flock because he works for pay and has no concern for the sheep. 
And so both the hired man and Jesus have a close proximity to the flock. They're out and among the flock. They're with the sheep. But the hired man leaves because he has the idol of money and greed as his motivation for being close to the sheep. And once he gets his money, he doesn't care what happens. He doesn't care who approaches. And he doesn't really ultimately care what happens to the sheep. And so he runs. And once he sees that approaching danger, he, he abandons. But Jesus, the good shepherd, does not have that motivation. He does not share that with the hired man. His purpose for being among the flock, his purpose for that close proximity is not to have gain, to not have luxury or riches or money because of that. The purpose is for the concern and the good of the sheep, that they may be protected, that they may be kept safe, that they may retain their life, and dare we even say live it to its abundance. And we see this, this other aspect of the Good Shepherd is that he too draws close to the sheep but he draws close to the sheep so that they may have life and that his motivation for that close proximity is their good, their concern. And because of that, when the sheep hear his voice, they trust him. Because of that, when the, sheep, when the good shepherd approaches, they run to him. And if there is a distance, and if they do get separated, that they do not fear but they, they hear his voice in that distance, and they go to him. They follow him. So that wherever that sh shepherd leaves, leads, it's not creating abandonment, but the shepherd's leading, and the sheep follow because he is close to them because of their good. All right. Well, let's go ahead and end uh, this podcast with the, the prayer after communion um, for this Sunday. Look upon your flock, kind shepherd, and be pleased to settle in eternal pastures the sheep you have redeemed by the, by the precious blood of your Son, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we thank you for joining us, uh, reflecting on the scriptures that are presented to us in the sacred liturgy. Uh, we ask you to continue to like, uh, share, subscribe comment we do read the comments by the way so if you think they, these comments are just floating off into the ether we do see them but so please uh share this episode with those that you think would uh enjoy uh this kind of moment of reflection and prayer with the sacred scriptures um just know that we are praying for all of our listeners so thank you very much god bless you all thanks for listening to god's planning a work of the dominican friars of the province of saint joseph Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review on your podcast app and visit us at godsplaining.org.